Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Now, we have been talking uh, about living from the inside out. Can we pray again uh, and, uh, and come around the Word of God? Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that you can uh, lead us in life and you speak to us, you instruct us if we're teachable. We want to be disciplined disciples. We don't want to just get you to have your grace chase us around and patch us up, but we want, to be, we want to be leaning in to all that you have for us, living our best life, being trained and, uh, and built up uh, in you. I pray that you would help us to uh, come one step closer in the walk that you have for us, in our destiny, to, uh, to apply what you have for us in our lives. So each one of us, all the different journeys that we go on today, but collectively right now, we are your children we are your disciples, we are your followers, and we want to get around what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. Amen. Now, um, I want you to turn your Bible to the book of Galatians. And uh, we, as I said, we've been talking about uh, this concept, living from the inside out, talking about surrendering to God, uh, letting God touch us and change us on the inside so that instead of being continually changed by our circumstances, we would actually be the change agents to the people around us, that we would uh, influence the world rather than being influenced by the world and rather than reacting to the world and what's going on, we'd actually bring something from God, making a difference, being salt and light and ambassadors of God. And of course, it starts within each one of us. And one of the key Bible passages that can help us to do this is found in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 16 uh, through to verse 26. And you'll see it come up on the screen uh, from the New Living Translation. So I say, let the Holy Spirit... Isn't that interesting? That is the NLT in a a slightly different version. I've got slightly different... Anyway, it's all good. Sometimes. Uh, the, uh, so you've got verse 15. I'm reading from verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. That's Old Testament law that is impossible to live up to. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions... Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, if that list wasn't long enough for you. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But 
the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So since you are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So there's a real war going on, on the inside of us. And uh, there's the sinful nature and then there's this new nature that's been given to us, provided by Jesus and then brought to us by the Holy Spirit. And once we come to Christ, we're born again. Our spirits are regenerated. They, they, they become alive. And the Holy Spirit comes. He seals our salvation. And he stirs our spirit so we can find and follow his will. He's guiding for our lives. And verse 16 there says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So he'll do the guiding. We just have to let him. We just have to allow him to do that. So that sounds great. And it is. But it's not that easy because we have to deal with this other nature that is inside us at the same time. And this sinful nature has desires that will lead us to sin and away from God. And verse 17 says, these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So one is the spirit, one's the flesh, as the old translation would put it, or the old man. Uh, or the sinful nature. And it's very important that we win this war <laughs> because, you know, we're talking about living from the inside out. Well, if what's on the side is just some of that stuff that was listed there, anger, jealousy, strife, hatred, you know, well, that's not really what you want to come out. Uh, you want something else to sort of come from the inside. So we need to be constantly dealing with this sinful nature and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to take control. And you know, Paul the Apostle, who wrote that passage, he's, um, he's know, he knows what he's talking about because he writes in Romans 7, I want to come back to this passage, but you can turn over if you like or just look at the screen. Romans 7, Paul talks about his own struggles with this issue between these two natures on the inside. And so look at um, what Paul says. In Romans 7, verse 21 to 25, I've discovered this principle of life that what I want to do, what it, sorry, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to do, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Well, thank God indeed. There is an answer. And that is why we are going to celebrate next Sunday and Friday. We gather on Friday and we appreciate the work of Jesus on the cross to forgive us for our sins. We celebrate on Sunday because he overcame death and we follow him through death to self 
right through to resurrection and we get to live forever. That's a fantastic situation, deal provided for us by the grace of God. We don't earn it, we just accept it. But there's a constant application of that that we have to keep working on in our lives and that's what we're talking about. So uh, we have to, you know, Jesus provided forgiveness and provided freedom but we've got to keep reaching out to take a hold of that and that's a constant decision and there's this constant tension and battle going on. Um, I love the message version of that passage. I want to read it to you, what we just read, but this is the paraphrased version, uh, Romans seven twenty one to 25. This is Paul saying uh, in a different, you know, translation in a modern vernacular. He says, look, this battle happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all, all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. <laughs> and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Who are they? Let me just stop there. You know, we always blame they. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, they say this is, you know, they say, they say the things are going to get, well, they say the housing market, or they say, you know, cost of living. They say sicknesses that they, you know. We, we like to blame they. Well, right now he's talking about they somewhere on the inside. He's like, it's not me, it's they. They're out. Well, they're not out there. They're actually in here. I haven't found them yet, but the, it's the sinful nature. <laughs> they take I love that. Parts of me covertly rebel. It's like, what do you, it's like, sounds like the SAS working away on the inside. Just, you know, it's the Taliban or something going. It's like, wow. And then look what he says. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Isn't that well said? Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like someone that you know? I don't mean the person next to you. <laughs> I mean you. Uh, because, look, it's easy to blame others or to blame the devil for what is essentially an issue that comes from within. The biggest problem in the world that we have is not someone else. It's us. Augustine said it. He said the greatest problem I've got is myself. Deal Moody, the great evangelist, said the, the person that I've had the most trouble with my whole life is me. And uh, and listen to what famous um, you know preacher Spurgeon said, um, and he's writing a commentary on this on this passage. He says all the fire which the devil can bring from hell could do as little harm. Sorry, could do could do. Uh, I think the time has come. The font the font style is just not big enough. Praise the Lord. And now, now I'm going to get in trouble for not having trendy reading glasses. Oh, flip, that makes it easier. I mean, there's a limit, you know? Like, it's only so far back from the pulpit that you can stand. Come on, I see, I see some people who have got to 50, only recently too, you know. Praise the Lord. Oh, look at that. It's all come alive. You have no idea. The weeks that I've been re- just 
good thing I know my Bible because sometimes I'm staring at this blur and I'm just, I'm just remembering. I just catch one word. I think I think I know this whole passage. Flip. I wish I'd remembered the whole chapter. I only know a couple. Of, it's a miracle. <laughs> All right, back to the Bible. So Spurgeon says. All the fire which the devil can bring from hell could do us little harm if we had not so much fuel in our nature. It is the powder in the magazine of the old man, which is our perpetual danger. He's talking about old guns that had gunpowder in the magazine area, which they didn't have cartridges back then, but he was talking about the 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 power of a of a gun and gunpowder is useless on its own, but it can be ignited and the fire comes from the devil, but we provide the fuel. When we are guarding against foes outside, we must not forget to be continually on our watchtower against the foe of foes within. The flesh lusts against the spirit. He quotes the traditional rendering of that passage. On the other hand, our best friend who loves us better than we love ourselves is the Holy Spirit. We are shockingly forgetful of the Holy Spirit and therefore it is to be feared that we greatly grieve him. Yet we are immeasurably indebted to him. In fact, we owe our spiritual existence to his divine power. Prince of preachers, they call him. Great, great words. Uh, And so, yes, again, the devil is our enemy, but he finds something in us to click with. But notice that power comes from God, power that helps us win this battle. And so we've got a choice. We can feed and follow this carnal, base, natural, sinful instinct and the desires that that leads to will lead us away from God and ultimately to death. Or we can choose the way of the Spirit. We can let the Holy Spirit grow and work in us. We can access his power that helps us overcome sin and defeat temptation. We can allow him to create in us a different set of desires, a higher way of living, the development of a godly character with character qualities that, well, literally come from God, but are produced in us. And of course, that is what is meant by the fruit of the Spirit which we'll talk more about, because that's one of the reasons the Holy Spirit's come. You know, he's come, well, for a number of reasons. He convicts of sin, doesn't condemn, but convicts, convicts us of sin, makes us aware of our faults and our mistakes and our failings, but only so that we'll turn to God. Repent is a good thing. It just means changing direction and turning to God rather than running away from him. So he does that. He seals our salvation with an assurance that we've got eternal life when we give our lives to Christ. He comforts us because Jesus calls him the great comforter or the great counsellor. So he's the best counsellor you'll ever need. And then, of course, he gives spiritual gifts to the church or to the individual people that make up the church. So inside each of us, we've got gifts that God's put in our personality, other spiritual gifts that he brings, and we'll learn more about that in May doing a series on discovering your gifts, which would be very exciting. But underlying the use of the gifts, it's important that we get our character right, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. And so he comes to grow this fruit in us. And that's what I want to look at, because of course it comes from the inside. And the fruit is a great symbol of what he does, because let's face it, fruit is cool. Fruit is tasty, it's uh, colourful, it's nutritious, it's... uh, 
it's it's good for us. And uh, and in the same way, whatever the Holy Spirit does in your life is good for you. And that's important to know because some people turn from God when they should turn to him. Sometimes we might run from God or get angry at God or resentful towards God because we feel his hand on us or we don't really read like what we read or feel that he's calling us. But even if it's discipline, like we heard over communion, even if it's not comfortable, it's all good, as they say these days. It's all good, especially when you're talking about the Holy Spirit working on your life. And so this is good stuff that he produces. And, uh, and notice that fruit comes naturally from a tree. It's not forced. You don't hear trees striving and groaning in the orchard. Oh, I've got to succeed. That tree next to me, it's, oh, look at the size of his oranges. Come on. I've got to make my oranges bigger. Oh, that's so orange. Come on. I've got to, you know. And we worry and compare and stress and strive in life and, and yet the fruit just comes naturally. Fruit just grows. And so all these qualities, you know, you don't have to make these qualities happen yourself. Right, joy, I got it. Put on a smile. Ding. You know, and sort of work on strive. We just got to let the fruit grow because the word of God is a seed. gets planted in our heart. Our heart is soil. We can be hard. We can have a crust over that surface of the soil. And the seed just won't do us any good. Or as the Bible says, break up the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. You can dig up the soil in your heart and say, yeah, I'm going to attune myself to God's ways. I'm just not going to think naturally and in the natural world. I'm going to, I'm going to focus in on God and the whole concept of being a spiritual person, an eternal spirit being. And, and, and provide that heart, that hunger, that openness to God. And there's the soil as the seed lands. And then, of course, it needs watering, which comes through prayer and, and the, the word again. And, uh, and then, of course, we, we allow a tree that sprouts and grows needs air and light, which we can do with our lives living openly before God. And again, constant watering. We weed, that we create an environment for the tree to grow. By keeping out the weeds, having some discipline. We are the gardeners of our own hearts. And so we have the opportunity, what kind of environment we will let whatever is growing on the inside. So if we provide the right environment and fertilize and weed and water and all that, then the Holy Spirit's tree is going to grow and the fruit will occur. So let's look at some of this fruit. And the good thing about fruit is, as I said, it's tasty, it's nutritious. Other people will be picking off your life fruit all the time. Whenever you interact with someone, whatever you're saying and the way you're acting and the life that you live, people are effectively, in a spiritual sense, effectively taking something from you and eating it. And sadly, sometimes I think I'm probably not giving people a lovely sweet orange. You know, you walk away thinking, just what kind of fruit did they get from me today you know was it an onion when they thought they like a, I love that scene as I think it's 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 Seinfeld and George needs glasses a lot more than me and he decides I think to not wear glasses for some unknown reason or but he comes in and grabs what he thinks is an apple out of the fridge and starts eating it and uh, saying oh I don't need glasses and I'm half making this up I don't know why he didn't need glasses but then the other guy says you're eating an, you're eating a, an onion you realize and he keeps eating 
Yeah, I know. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to carry on the bluff. But uh, sometimes, you know, we might wonder why, you know, the interactions we have with people not as pleasant as they could be. And we got to think, what kind of fruit is coming from my life? So that list of fruit there, there's nine qualities. I want to look at just one of them because it's a reasonably important one. Uh, the first one there, it's, well, it's the single most powerful force in the universe. It's love. So it's worth noticing for a little while. And, um, you know, love, what a concept. What a, for four letters, it's a big word. It's, you, we've only got one word for it in our language. But, of course, the Greeks, as you may know, had several different words for love. They, and the Greek language is what the New Testament was originally written in. So the Greeks used the word eros, which obviously we get the word in our language, erotic, uh, and that's a, a sensual love, a physical uh, love. It's romantic, it's sweet, but the goal is real self-gratification. It's selfish, and therefore it's very fragile. And, uh, and that's why... If a man and a woman only ever have this kind of love in their relationship, the relationship is really fragile. And that's why people break up. Because you've heard it said, I wasn't happy anymore. This marriage isn't making me happy. Well, there's an underlying premise that you got wrong. You thought marriage was only about making you happy? I mean, you can get happiness along the way, but the the main reason isn't just to make you happy. There's other things at stake. You can glorify God. You can grow in your character. You can make someone else happy, you know, and so there's a a different kind of love that is needed to make that marriage strong. And, uh, And so that's sadly why people split up if problems come along or things don't go their way because that's the only kind of love that they've focused on. There's a Greek word called storge, which was used to describe a love that you have within a family. Um, motherly love would be an expression we might use. And um, we watched some family videos recently from when the kids were little. And uh, I think Ruth's actually shared this, that she's always she used to have this phrase, there's always room for another. And so the kids had come in for a cuddle and there's a video of her in bed feeding one of the kids, it must have been Bethany as a baby. And then little Luke this great big bruising fellow was the cutest baby. I, honestly, it's worth probably taking an entire sermon just showing photos of him when he was a kid or videos of him watching the fireworks. No, what was it? Uh, the, the Christmas lights was a little two-year-old driving around and you're watching him go, oh, wow, look at those lights, you know. And so he'd climb in, ah, little cute, baldy, you know, and then and it's starting to get chaotic. And then Eleanor would sort of come in with, you know, weird clothes and a million books and she'd pile on and she'd like five or something at the time and then of course little hurricane hudson would be seven going on 15 ah! just thought this is a rumble great yeah i'm into it you know and some people would be tempted to go stop it oh you're messing the bed or oh, yeah, yeah but ruth to her credit would say there's always room for another so then i'd get to jump on and read it and then she had a she had a we've still got it the rocking chair i don't know how it survived but she'd have one kid on the rocking chair and then another one another one yeah and that old pile on she'd be reading a book or something rocking away there's always room for another we haven't actually put that rocking chair to the test lately which is just as well with hudson and luke uh i don't think it would survive the old piled on so there's family storge love then there's filio love which is used uh a little more often um 
uh, and uh, refers to brotherly love, a, a human bond that is based around shared experiences. So there's sort of a reaching out here, but only as long as we've got something in common. So that can break down if there's a disagreement or uh, we don't share that sort of experience. And speaking of breakdowns, I, I had a breakdown, uh, not an emotional one, you'll be pleased to know, just a, uh, a mechanical one. Um, uh, not this last week anyway, that was a couple of months ago. But, uh, so we, um, I go motorbike riding out in the dirt and last week I went with some friends from Sydney, there were only three of us, my chain broke and I haven't seen a, a good O-ring chain break for forever, you know, these chains are normally very reliable. We're in the middle of nowhere and these two guys, I don't know them that well, but they're in the fraternity, you know, we're motorcyclists and they're enthusiastic and all that and they could leave me because now their day is not going to be what they thought. We're tearing along the trails and we've got all, in fact, there were four of us. One guy's, you know, just pulled out, which is kind of good because he's finding it a bit of a struggle, a bit slow. He said, oh, I'm going back. Oh, really? Okay, bye. So then the three of us were like, yeah, we're going. And then one guy's blasting along. Oh, and then I, chain breaks. And I said, guys, you could just go. And they go, mate, we're not, don't leave anyone, don't leave a man behind, you know. And so, but, and none of us had the tools, see, and then we all got, ripped into by the other blokes that would often be there but weren't there that day because I didn't have spare links or a chain breaker or didn't even have a tow rope. <sighs> and so so then one of the guys, he says, let's go Bear grills. We're going we're gonna to make tow, tow rope out of vines. So he rode back to the rainforest area where we'd been through all these vines, which actually was great because I witnessed to the other guy we had. There was just the two of us. And we talked about death. His father had died of asbestosis. And, oh, you know, so we're talking about the Lord and life and, you know, everything. Anyway, he comes back with a vine. We were not Bear grills. The vines just didn't work. We thought, how? I mean, he does it on the TV show easily. It makes it look easy. So, and then the physio guy had bandage. So he thought, great, we'll make so we made a rope out of the bandage and that lasted about 500 metres and then it ripped. <sighs> and then we saw a sign, you know, uh, it was obviously the back of someone's property because this is sort of half state forest and then you're on the... So, of course, the sign's not that inviting, you know, keep out, pros- pros- trespassers will be, you know, prosecuted or shot or, you know, these signs are... They're not that friendly towards motorbike riders, so, but they had to do it. So they ride off. I come back after ages saying, well, we didn't get shot and we've got a rope and they tow me out. It's a long story, but, you know. And we finally, we, I, we end out, on, we're sort of in civilization. We find a country road and, and again, I say, guys, you could go because I could just find somewhere. I could call, you know, Ruth or Luke or someone and they'll come and pick up my car and pick me up. You can access this road somewhere. And they didn't want to leave. They're like, no, mate, no. And then this truck comes past. This guy, little little out there, just full of beans, uh, sees us and, so, and he sees the bikes. Ah, he slams on the bike. He comes and he goes, you run out of fuel. I got fuel. I got fuel. I go, I, I, yeah, I, I haven't run out of fuel. Huh. I, I broke my chain. I got chains. I got chains. It's all right. Follow me. Come back here. And he lived nearby and he had, it, he had, his, he had his dirt bike stolen. So he's really cranky but sort of wanting to – get over it and thinking, well, if I help motorbike riders, he had this sort of karma thing going on. He'd explained his philosophy of, you know, so he, and he was a motorbike mechanic. 
So he pulls out all these random old chains. None of them worked. He's got chain breaker. He says, I'll go up to the shed and he's filing. And that didn't work. He had an old XR400 and he pulled the chain off that and he came back. And, uh, and then, and again, I say to the guys, look, I'm, I'm kind of in civilization. This guy's, he's a little out there because he's, but I think I'll be okay. Go, go for your trail ride because we're still near the bush. You can go. They wouldn't let me. And hours later, I got the dodgiest sort of chain thing going, road trickled back to the car. Why am I telling you? Yes, the fraternity. So it's filio love. Okay, back to the Bible. So I survived. I'm here. I'm alive. Okay, you'd be pleased to know. That's, uh, but, you know, there's a, um, there's a filio love. But there is a fourth Greek word used. In fact, used quite rarely in Greek at the time because it was rarely seen. And yet it's used most often in the New Testament. Of the 200 times that the word love appears in the New Testament, depending on your translation, around 200 times, about 180 of those times is using this word, which is agape. And, uh, and of course, this is a love that is completely selfless. This is a patient love, a giving love. And it, is, it became essentially known as the Christian love at that time, in that part of history, because Christ and his followers were the only ones living and loving that way. And it's used, as I said, in the New Testament, most of the times um, the word love is used. The uh, theologian Norman Geisler, he offers this description of the different uh, nuances of, the, of three of those words. He says, eros love is egotistic. It says my first and last consideration is myself. Filio love is mutualistic. It says, I will give as long as I receive. Agape love, on the other hand, is altruistic, saying I will give requiring nothing in return. And that is the love that Jesus brought. And we are called to live that kind of love. And so how can we do that? I, I, I contend and suggest that you can do three things that will help you. The first one is that you receive God's love for you because you can only give what you've actually got. And, uh, and we read, you know, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, this amazing passage that says, we know how much God loves us. Oh, look, there it is. Thank you. Awesome. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. Wow. Well, you know, John, who wrote that, he knew God's love. In fact, in the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And right there, that word for love, that's agape. It's used 10 times in just three verses that we read. 
And it's the same word used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. So many other passages that talk about God's love. And, you know, God's love is amazing. We're told there that it casts out fear, that it brings confidence, that we can only love others properly by receiving God's love first. It's all awesome, but we've got to know it. We've got to experience it. We've got to, well, we've got to believe in it because we do that. We really know and experience it by faith, not just relying on our feelings. Very easy to say, I don't feel loved. Oh, I don't feel God's love. But we've got to go beyond that and dig in and step into faith because we can have our emotions touched many times and we can feel God's love in the worship service, in church, in prayer times, but we shouldn't be relying on our feelings because the Bible tells us something we should believe in. And the Bible tells me God loves me. The Bible tells me that God doesn't judge me for what I've done in the past. The Bible tells me what I read just there is that I don't have to be afraid of God. I don't have to be afraid of the day of judgment. I don't have to have any fear of punishment. It says if I'm afraid of punishment, it shows that I've not fully experienced his perfect love. So I step into that love by faith and say, wow, God, I don't get it, but you just love me. And fathers, you kind of do get it, really, because parents, mums, dads, you know, once you become a father, uh, you just, you're going to love those little munchkins, even when they're ratbags, aren't you? You just love them. You just, they're naughty and... That's another argument for the whole battle of the sinful nature. It's like, how did, whose child is this? How did this demonic, evil, ratbag of a child decide to do such sinful deeds? Oh, it's, it's original sin. Adam, where are you? Thanks a lot. And, and it flows in our veins. And you see it and you think, why is this cute little child, you know, suddenly evil? Uh, that's the battle we're talking about. But we can receive God's love, amen, by faith. And that is very important because you can't give out what you haven't got and you're going to run out of your own natural level of love for what we're called to and for the people we're called to love. The second thing that helps us to know and experience the love of God is our daily devotion. And, you know, we've been talking in our church about daily devotion, weekly witness, yearly commitment. That's the bedrock of a good, healthy Christian life, that we walk with the Holy Spirit. We read the Bible. We pray every day. We, we stay connected to him. Have you ever noticed grumpy Christians, resentful, angry, upset Christians who they're not loving, they're just cranky that they're not feeling loved? Well, if you ask them what they're reading in the Bible, and they're honest, they'll probably tell you they're not reading the Bible. And if you ask them what they've been praying about, well, maybe they've been angry and shouting at God, but it's not real prayer. So, you know, we are are able to have our spirits built and dealt with if we're walking with God. And uh, and if you're angry with someone else and you're resentful towards someone else, you pray for them, you're going to feel the love of God flowing. And uh, and so we can experience God's love for us in prayer, but we also find his love flowing through us for other people as we pray. Um, and, uh, and, not, and when I say pray for other people, I don't mean, oh, God, judge them and smite them. I mean, you know, <laughs> listening to what the Holy Spirit wants for them. And then you find yourself blessing them. Oh, God, really? And you read what Jesus, all right, God, bless them. Through gritted teeth. But then the 
Holy Spirit comes and then you feel God's real love for people and you realize, oh, they're precious. And if they hurt me, it's just because they're a bit bent out of shape like me. It's just the human condition. And then you, you know, you have that experience. You just feel God's love for everybody, even the, you know, imbecile that pulls in front of you on the road and you're tempted to, ah, you think, oh, child of God, you're just a little misdirected at the moment and you need God's love. Uh, and the third thing we've got to do to really walk in love and, and get God's love flowing and the fruit of the Spirit flowing is a decision that we can make to love, to act in love, to not, as I said, it's not just a, a feeling, but, you know, we have a power of choice and we shouldn't be a, a victim that says, well, I, I'm too hurt, I can't love again, you know. Uh, you can decide to speak words of life and of love and to act in love and the feelings can follow because love as you've probably heard is not just a feeling it's a decision it's an action and uh and that decision needs to kick in well like i said when you need to forgive someone uh I, i've just been reading about david i'll finish with this reflection um as uh, saul is trying to kill him about about 20 different times over about a nine-year period and Saul has been anointed to be the king of Israel but sorry David's been anointed to be the next king but Saul is still in charge and Saul's resentful towards David and he's actively trying to not just mistreat him kill him and David won't lift a hand against the king and he even says that classic phrase I will not touch the Lord's anointed he has an opportunity to kill Saul finds him in a cave and he could have killed him and he refuses not to. And he sure didn't always feel, oh, Saul, <laughs> Saulie, you old, <laughs> love you, love you like a father. No, you're trying to kill me. He wouldn't have felt that. But he acted in love and he acted out of respect and he wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. And, uh, and of course, Saul, well, Saul had his issues. And so God finally took him out. Uh, and God left it in God, sorry, David left it in God's hands for the time that he would be elevated and he did eventually become king. And you've perhaps had versions, I've had my own versions of Saul kind of characters who are having a go at you and you're tempted to fight back or be resentful or, but you can decide to love. You can write that gracious letter, flip. I did that to one employer once who really, didn't pay us for a long time and did the wrong thing and but I wrote him a gracious letter I remember thinking <laughs> you know his hand you know don't let the left hand know what the right hand is. you rat bag not start again dear you know thank you for the opportunity thank you for the lessons and I, and I man I was so blessed in giving him that letter and uh, and you'll be blessed it cleans your spirit out from the poison of resentment and you can do that uh, and even if you don't feel like it, you just step into those sort of decisions and actions. And, um, well, so much to be said, but uh, we'll come to a close. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. And this is a lifelong process, constant decision to give attention to, to this, to continually decide to follow Jesus and let the Holy Spirit grow in us and produce his fruit. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information, 
or to contact us, visit safereechurch.narara.net.